Hey listeners, welcome to another episode of Brown Girls Read podcast. This is your host Aman Tiwana and this is Kathy Thakur and both of us love reading books. On this podcast we bring our favorite books to you and discuss the parts that were most meaningful to us and how we found them interesting or relatable as brown girls. Today we have Chitra Devakaruni with us who is the author of the book The Palace of Illusions. The Palace of Illusions is the epic tale of Mahabharat retold from a woman's point of view and we are so excited to discuss this point of view with Chitra today. If you haven't listened to our discussion of the book you can check out the previous episode and now let's bring Chitra on. Hi Chitra welcome to Brown Girls Read. Hello I am so pleased to be here with you. We are so excited to have you with us Chitra we have been waiting for you know to discuss the book with you and and we have so many questions about Palace of Illusions. It's been oh, my yeah. <laughs> favorite book like since forever since I read it the first time I guess 2 3 years ago. Since that I haven't found you know a comparable book to that actually. That is how much I love that book. Thank you. That's so nice to hear. <laughs> yeah, Kathy was the one who recommended it and I of course also loved it so much. I feel like I'm always on to any feminist books and this is such a great retelling of the story and that's what I wanted to ask you before anything else what made you want to retell the story well you know i think the idea for this novel has been with me for a long time before i actually wrote it the thoughts behind it started even before i knew i was going to be a writer because i grew up with the stories of the mahabharat and the ramayana but i was always disturbed by the fact that although there are such wonderful complex smart powerful women characters they kind of pushed to the side that always bothered me that we never knew what was going on in their minds what were their thoughts yeah. what were their motives for doing things i wanted to write a novel that put one of these women center stage and really had the reader examined the whole story of the mahabharat through her eyes how did it seem to her right and i thought draupadi would be the perfect one in in palace of illusions she calls herself panchali because she doesn't want to be known only as her father's daughter um, that was my favorite thing she just <laughs> you know names herself something she wants and doesn't really go with an association with the father really she says i have my own identity And so I wanted to show the entire battle of the Mahabharat and the court situation, everything from her angle, how she would see it, and how she would see it as a woman, as well as being an individual. The Palace of Illusions is not only her story; it is very much also the stories of some of the other powerful women, like Kunti. Kunti is a big part of the Palace yeah. of Illusions right. because she is the other important woman in the lives of the Pandavas. Yeah, I just wanted to bring the woman right in front of the readers to make them, I don't know, identify with her thoughts, with her way of thinking, and to make them question the traditional storyline that we've been given, not only through the centuries, but especially through popular like film retellings, like TV retellings and so forth. I think that was what was behind the palace of illusions and the same which I say impetus made me write the forest of enchantments which is a retelling of the ramayan and it is now being told through sita's point of view. Yeah that's on my list too after reading palace of illusions 
And I want to thank you for writing this because you are right. We just saw these things on TV and it was all about what Arjun is thinking and, you know, all these like male characters driving the story. Nowhere did we see any kind of attribution to female characters other than blame. Blame was there, but nothing else. Exactly. And I'm so glad you brought that up because when I grew up hearing the story of Draupadi, it was always with a sense of blame. Or kind of a snickering attitude. Oh, she had five husbands, you know. Oh, right. Wasn't that fun for her? Personally, I think having five husbands is no fun at all. <laughs> yeah, having one and husband is so difficult. <laughs> there you go. And that setup was not fun at all either, right? There was right. no she choice in that. that. Right, she never wanted yeah. that. And all that is forgotten in the retellings, right? The other thing is, oh, she's responsible for the Mahabharat war because she wanted revenge. And when you really examine the story, no, it's not that at all. The Mahabharat war was about going to happen. because yeah, No matter what, it was going to happen, I think. Yes, it was definitely going to happen. So I wanted to get away from that patriarchal mindset that kind of creeps up on us if we're not aware of it. And that is the mindset that either ignores the women or, as you said, blames the women or kind of snickers at the women, usually with a sexual joke attached. And what were the challenges that you encountered when you were writing this story? Well, first of all, I wanted to be really authentic. I didn't want to just create my own story of the Mahabharata because then my whole project would have become lost. Right. People would have just said, oh, this is just Chitra's imagination about the Mahabharata. This has nothing to do with the real Mahabharata. So I really needed to do in-depth research. So, you know, I spent a lot of time doing in-depth research on Vyasa's Mahabharata, but there are also other Mahabharats written down the ages. For example, the Kashiram Dash Mahabharata that is in Bengali, which is my language. So I read it in the original. And then there are various other retellings, as well as scholars have written critical essays and books about the Mahabharata. I wanted to read those. Then whatever I could find about lifestyle in that era, I wanted to bring that in because, you know, without those details of lifestyle, I think a novel just isn't complete. It doesn't pull the readers in. So I wanted to create a really strong sense of what Rabudi's life would have been from day to day. What would she be wearing? What would she be eating? What were the rules and regulations for her as a princess? I wanted to bring all of those things out. So that required a good amount of research. And then I had to decide how was I going to tell this big story? I didn't want this to become like a 1,500-page book. I wanted to right. be a book that readers would not get intimidated by, that they would be able to just reach out and pick it up and enjoy reading it. So then I had to decide which, because the Mahabharata is so large, which parts of the story do I need to keep in and which parts do I have to let go of just because there's so much. So all of that the organizing and the research took a lot of time. But the characters have been, I guess, so authentic and real. You know, like some of the emotions that have been described from Panchali's point of view have been so real. And that is what I related to the most. Like she is sort of a goddess in our religion, I guess. But like having like these flawed emotions sometimes, like the feeling of guilt, the feeling of revenge, all of those things are amazing. I loved it. Did you find those things in like the actual Mahabharata as well? Because I haven't read it. Yes, definitely they are there. 
But as I said, Vyas doesn't spend too much time on them. He says things like she was very distressed, and then he goes on. <laughs> but oh, there's yeah. no, you know, no description <laughs> of how distressed she was, or why she was distressed, or what she was thinking when she was distressed. Especially that is missing. So I think that's been my uh, biggest contribution, perhaps, that I have created an inner life for the character. The outer life, you know, the outer events are the, pretty much the same as in the original Mahabharat. But I hope I've been able to create an authentic inner life for Panchali. And did you also take any creative liberties with any characters at any point or you strictly followed Mahabharat, how it was told before? I followed Mahabharat for all of the major events. Now, there are minor characters who come up like Panchali's nursemaid, who kind of brings her up because there's no mother in the picture, which is true in the Mahabharat also. She's, she has no mother. She comes out of the fire. And so I imagined, I said, well, when this girl was little, who took care of her? So then I thought about Thai mother, you know, the nursemaid, and what kind of relationship would she have? What kind of stories would she tell? And so that created a whole character and allowed me to explore parts of Panchali's life. So the big question that people ask is, what about her love for or her attraction to Karna and his attraction yeah. to her? <laughs> there are hints in the Mahabharata here and there. And so I picked up on those hints and I created again the inner life. What would Panchali be thinking? Why would she be thinking that? And one of the big hints is that when she is getting ready for her swamvar, for her, you know, the bride will, I, I wouldn't say she chooses, but there's a test and the winner is going to win. So before that, in the Mahabharata, it says that, you know, she asks, who are the greatest heroes of my time? Who's going to be coming to this party? They're like, well, the Pandavas used to be the greatest, but they've been killed because at that point, Duryodhan has tried to kill them and um, they have escaped. But the, the house in which they were going to be burnt up has burnt down. So everyone right. believes that they've been killed. So she's like, okay, if they're not in the picture anymore, who is the greatest hero? And then Krishna says, well, it is Karna. He has to tell yeah. her the truth. And then in her mind, she's like, well, he's the greatest hero. He's the one I want to marry. So that much is there in the early Mahabharata. And then what else she thinks after that is where I have imagined. We loved it. Thank you. For Thank you. <laughs> I personally, I love the character of Karna. I think he's complex. He's, he's truly heroic and tragic at the same time. He has a very interesting story. And from his side, for sure, he wanted to marry Jopati. That is why he comes to the Swambar. And when he is prevented from performing the test, which for sure he would have won, I have no doubts about it. That's why everyone was like, no, no, he can't do this. Right? right. So, so it, there was this desire that's thwarted and therefore it stays with him. It stays with him because, you know, it is his desire from when he's fairly young. It, she's kind of the first woman that he really wants. Right. And so I, I drew upon that. All the other males in the book are sort of like very male chauvinist, I feel. <laughs> but Karna is so amazing. I loved his character. He was the only male character that I really loved in the book. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. I didn't I like I've... her husbands at all. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I hope I've been able to show the complexities and the challenges. I mean, the Bandivas faced 
Yeah, we have to admit, they face terrible challenges. Their right. father dies and their mother, you know, widowed mother brings them into a hostile court. They have to grow up always feeling like they're the poor cousins. Then uh, their uncle doesn't give them what they're supposed to get, half of the kingdom. Instead, his cousin, yeah. their cousin is trying to kill them. So you understand that they're under a lot of pressure. And uh, part of the pressure is Kunti always telling them, yeah. You know, you are heroes. You are my hero sons. Better be good heroes now. <laughs> I, I hope I was able to show uh, Bhim as a complex character. Oh, because, Bhim was the sweetest, I feel, of, yes. of the five. Bhim yes. was my favorite. <laughs> and that is in the Mahabharata, that Bhim is oh, the really? one who loves her the most and who is willing to do whatever she asks. And I just so remember she, the TV version where uh, all they showed was he was just tearing people apart. <laughs> <laughs> really? See, 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 unfortunately, the TV versions can only give us so much. So Bhim, you know, he has a real tenderness towards her. And, uh, you know, Panchali being a complex character, she appreciates it, but she also takes advantage of it. When right. she really needs something, she goes to Bhim and says, do it for me. Also about the ending, how did you choose this ending? Like, was it always like in your mind? to end it like this or did it evolve as you wrote the story? Part of it was in my mind because I knew early on that the way I was going to structure the novel is I would begin with her birth and end with her death. Because okay. the Mahabharata goes on, you know, it starts long before Panchali and it goes on quite a bit after Panchali, what happens in society, in the kingdoms. But I wanted to begin and end with her death. And so I knew that she was going to go up to the mountains, into the Himalayas with the Pandavas, and she falls there. But then what is going on in her mind, the conversation that she has with Krishna, that kind of came to me slowly. Yes, Karna is my very favorite. He is a great favorite. But I think probably my greatest favorite is Krishna. And the relationship between Krishna and Panchali, I really wanted to bring that out because not only is it a very sweet relationship, it's a friendship. It's a friendship between a man and a woman, which is very rare in our older literature. I mean, why older literature? I think in literature <laughs> in general, the people don't seem to feel that men and women can have friendships. <laughs> it always, it's always like, okay, then it's a romance. It's not a real friendship, whatever. But uh, truly, Krishna and Panchali have a very close friendship. But then as I was looking at that, it's also, there's a symbolic meaning to that friendship, which is it's also a friendship between the human being and the divine. So yeah. I really wanted to bring in that aspect for it. In Panchali's love for Krishna and in Krishna's love for Panchali, there is that human and divine connection. I love their friendship a lot. And I think Kathy and I discussed this earlier, that throughout the book, that was one hook I had, that whenever something was hard, they both would get together in some way, even if like for a brief encounter. And I loved how he was there for her in the end. Nobody else, but just Krishna. Nobody else, right? And that is the ultimate the final truth of human existence, right? All other human relationships fall away. They just can't be there for us. It's only the relationship, our relationship with the divine that can remain. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> that's so true. <laughs> Today's podcast is presented by Podgo. 
Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast. Providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. I recently joined as a member and you can too. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at podgo.co. How did you name this book Palace of Illusions? Again, I thought about it and thought about it and I finally came up with this because from the beginning one of the things that drives Panchali is that she wants a home of her own. She wants to belong in a place and she wants that place to belong to her. In some ways it's a very human desire, right? Because we all want to belong. We want a place that we can call our own. Panchali wants that too. So that when finally Pandavas are given a kingdom and it's way out in the in the boonies, as we would say, it's in the forest and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Well, they clear the forest and then this palace is built for her. So it seems to be the epitome of what she has always wanted. And then she loses it. So okay. there's a lot of emotion around this palace of illusion. It is called Mayapuri, right? It's a palace of illusions. It's a magical palace. And yet she loses it. It's a very resonant theme, I think, in the book. And my hope is that readers will connect to it because what Panchali wants, a home of our own, a place to belong, a place to feel safe. We all want that. But there's a, a different meaning also to it. There's another level at which uh, this works. And, you know, Krishna will bring it out in a conversation when she's Panchali is telling him how much she wants a place of her own. She wants a palace of her own. And he says, you are already living in the palace of illusions. Your body is the palace of illusions. Because right. as a human being, we're filled with illusions. This whole world around us is a palace of illusions. Nothing is as it seems. That is what yeah. Krishna is telling her. He's like, don't take things so seriously. This is all Maya. This is all part of my Maya. But of course, you know, she's not ready to listen to him. <laughs> He's like, I want my palace. <laughs> so that's that's kind of how that title came around. Right. And I love the explanation of the palace that you that you have given. Like, you know, it just felt like, oh, my God, I wish I had a palace like that. And I have never wanted a palace in my life before. <laughs> so I, was, I, kind of, I kind of wanted that palace, too, as I was yeah. writing it. I was like, this would be neat. <laughs> and a palace that... You know, it responded to you like it loved you like as much as you loved it in a way. And in fact, after they go away from the palace and the palace is lost during that game of chance, right? It's uh, taken away from them. But when Duryodhan comes to take possession of the palace, the palace just disintegrates. It's not going to allow anyone else to be <laughs> to live in there. So I really liked that. I really liked that part. Here's yeah, that was amazing. Like the perfect example of loyalty, you could see. <laughs> I loved writing that part and that how Anchali dreams about it. She has a vision about how the palace disintegrates. And when I was reading the book, I actually had so many questions because I had not read Mahabharat. So I was constantly thinking how much of it is true, how much you have created in your imagination. So I was reading a lot of articles on the site. And I ended up on one which said there are currently like two Bollywood movies being made on Mahabharat and 
maybe one of them is uh, basing Panchali's character on your book. So I wanted to check if that's true. Yeah. Well, you know, Palace of Illusions itself has been optioned. Yeah. And, and, you know, they've chosen the actress and everything, although I'm not allowed to say anything. So I can't. (laughs) I read it. They pick up other good. You can deny or confirm. <laughs> you will have to guess until they announce it. Wow, that so, is amazing, Chitra. Congratulations. Thank you. I'm very excited. In fact, all of that was done just before COVID, but then after that, it was COVID. So everything has been shelved, hopefully. You know, and right now in India, it is so sad what is going on with COVID. It is really quite heartbreaking. So I hope India recovers very soon. I hope and pray for it. And then we'll see. We'll see what happens. But I'm very excited. Love that. That's great. I'm Thank so excited. You. Thank you. Watch that movie. We'll keep our fingers crossed that it comes <laughs> out really well. I'm excited to see this on screen because I loved her character so much in your book. So yeah, that's one movie I'll definitely watch. Thank you. Yeah. And are you working on any other book right now? Yes. Well, as you probably know, my newest book, just came out a few months back and that is the last queen that is the story of it's a historical novel it's a story of a queen that history seems to have forgotten but she was truly an amazing character rani jinda kaur she was the wife of maharaja ranjit singh of punjab and uh, she was the last queen of the punjab because after that the british you know they plotted and treacherously got hold of her kingdom. There was a lot of treachery within the court. She lost the kingdom, but she continued fighting the British until she dies. She fights the British. She's just such a courageous character, and she has so many interesting qualities, not only as a leader, but as a woman, you know, who was so unusual for her generation. She dispensed with the veil which was a big part of the Lahore court at that time. Women were all veiled and they didn't come out in public. But she dispenses with the veil and she really inspires the army to fight against the British. And there's all kinds of amazing things that she does. So that is my newest book that has just come out, The Last Queen. And I've just started thinking about my next book, which will also be a historical novel. And it'll be set right around India's independence. So. Jinda Kaur's story is earlier in the British occupation of India, where she loses her kingdom to the British. And so I wanted a novel that is set at the end of that era, where Indians get India back. We are so excited to read the last I queen. Know, I the think. backlog is so big. Like I have to read all these books. I want to read Sita's account. I want to read Rani Jinda Kaur's book. And you already are writing a new one. Slow down, Chitra. <laughs> <laughs> And since this is a book podcast, we always ask our guests what they're currently reading. So what are you currently reading? So what I was reading just a little while back was Wolf Hall by Hilary Mantle, because I'm in the historical novel writing mode. I'm reading some historical novels just to see how other people have done it and what I've enjoyed in their novels. So Hilary Mantle is writing about King Henry VIII's court, and she is writing from the point of view of Cromwell, who was actually seen, always seen as a negative character. He was always seen as the villain of the piece. She has turned it around and she's really shown him as a very human character so that we 
admire him, we sympathize with him, and we understand what were the pressures he was under. I really am enjoying reading that book a lot. Yeah, I guess like they say that history is always written from the point of view of the winner, I guess, or like the leader, I guess. Yeah, Yeah, no, no. History is always written by the conquerors. No, I have a quotation right in the beginning of The Last Queen. It's uh, before the novel starts. It's the epigraph for the novel. And it is a quotation from the African writer Chinua Achibi. And he says, until the lions have their own historians, the history of the hunt will always be written by the hunters. Right. Wow. Right? So I want to do that. I want to write the story of the hunt, or the story, the real story. I want to write it from the point of view, not necessarily of the winners, but of the people who fought valiantly and maybe lost, but they won the inner fight. That's amazing. Love that. And Thank before you. we end our talk, is there anything you want to tell to our listeners? Well, one of the things I was so excited by, which is why I wanted to do this uh, conversation with you, is that you are reading such diverse books. You are reading books by South Asian authors. It's so important on so many levels to read diversely, to read books that come out of your own culture, to share that with people, and also to discuss the ideas in them. Because my hope as a reader and certainly as a writer also, is that the themes in these books, if the books are well-written, they will really relate to your lives on one level or another. And when we find that connection with books, it just enriches our own lives so much. It makes us see our lives differently, and it makes us understand our culture and our place in our culture differently as well. So that's my hope with my books being read by all of you. I love your message. Thank you so much. Thank you. This was a pleasure and uh, a big hello to all our listeners. (laughs) Thank you again, Chitra, for joining us today. We love reading your book and we love talking to you so much. Thank you so much. And I wish you all the best as you go on. And we are looking forward to reading more of your books now. This was our discussion with Chitra Banerjee. And we loved her recreation of these characters and their untold stories. We are absolutely looking forward to reading her other novels and her upcoming work, and we hope you are too. For our next episode, we are reading Carry On Warrior by Glenn and Doyle. We hope you'll be reading with us too. And until then, keep listening. Thank you for listening to this episode of Brown Girls Read Podcast. If you like what you hear, please leave us a five-star rating and a comment. You can support us at anchor.fm slash browngirlsread slash support. Your support will allow us to continue this podcast and bring more episodes to you. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us on Instagram, Brown Girls Read Pod and Brown Girls Read One on Twitter. If you have book recommendations for us, you can leave us a comment or message on our social media. And you can also subscribe to us on YouTube for more content.